Welcome, one and all, to episode 56 of the Mars Attacks podcast, which happens to be the Mars Attacks classic albums column focus on Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. The intro's so ominous, it's got that eerie feeling, it makes you wonder who the hell is Alistair Fiend and whatnot. In any event, Let's get into the end of In the Beginning and jump into the first full track. Title track, the classic title track, which you can still hear the band play today uh, off of, obviously, Shout at the Devil. That is Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. And if you're new to the Classic Albums column, if you're a Crue fan and you're checking this podcast out for the first time, this is one of the... This is actually the first classic albums column that we're going to do for January, but one of the albums that we've featured. We kicked things off with Metallica's Injustice for All, went to uh, Cleansing by Prong, Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the Deaf, Van Halen 2, 
Tools Anima. Uh, we move things forward with Megadeth's P-Cells. And last month, we had Judas Priest Painkiller. So all of those uh, classic albums column are available up on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Uh, the column itself is split into two portions. There's a written portion, which has written comments that were submitted to me. And there's this, the podcast, which will have comments from various people from the music industry, authors, musicians, show hosts, so on and so forth. And uh, essentially the idea behind these columns is to get people talking about these albums Um, and the groups in general. I mean, let's be honest. One of the reasons why I'm here is because of this album. This is one of my all-time favorite albums. And uh, as far as Motley Crue is concerned, I mean, you've got people split into two camps. And it's almost, you know, Shout at the Devil and Too Fast for Love or Dr. Feelgood. I've always been more partial to the first two albums, especially uh, Shout at the Devil, just because of the abrasiveness of the album, the rawness of the album, the heaviness of the album. It really set the band apart from a lot of bands that, you know, copied off of them and uh, and tried to do what they were doing. You know, they were an image-based band, obviously. They still are. Um, that has been maybe part of their success and part of their detriment uh, to a to an extent as well. Um, this album, I mean, is chock full of great songs, start to finish. I mean, is there a song off of this album that you can skip? You know, even the songs that were left off are great tracks as well. So, um, we're going to get into all of that. Um, we'll sample all of these songs and some live cuts as well. And, um... Uh, again, uh, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find all of the other columns if you're interested in them. Um, there's actually a category set up so that if you just want to check out these columns, uh, you can click on that and you'll see them all appear. There's also an index which has everyone that's commented on these albums. So what you can do is if you see comments from... Um, Kirk Winstein from Down and Crowbar. If you don't know who he is, um, you can go find his name. Uh, everything is listed in alphabetical order on the index page. You can find links to all of the pertinent sites, their official website, uh, or everyone who commented their official website, their Facebook if they're on Twitter, uh, Reverb Nation, so on and so forth. So all of that good stuff is there. Um, speaking of Facebook, we just started a new Facebook page for Mars Attacks Radio and Podcast. Um, we had one up, was one of the older pages, which they decided to do away with. And at the time, it was a real pain in the ass to 
keep up with everything and you know this is this is all a one man show <laughs> you know i'm not trying to fool anyone a lot of times i say they or we or or whatnot you know it's not a Terrell Owens type thing it is you know trying to sell the shows for what they are you know if if i go out and say you know i'm a one man deal all the time you know chances are people are going to say all right well who the hell's this shyster but anyway um the way that things are set up now, they can be pretty much automated between the page, the MarsAttacksRadio.com, and the Facebook page, so that the updates are pretty much automatic. Uh, I don't have to go in and cut and paste everything, and remember, you know, another thing to uh, to set up, you know, to have, uh, to, to sort of publicize um, what we're doing with this. So... If you guys don't mind, go to facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio and just like the page. You know, help us out. Help a brother out, as they say. Uh, Also, leave your comments on iTunes. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And I know that some people have uh, mentioned that they have issues downloading uh, or subscribing and having the podcast update. If that ever takes place, let me know. Uh, I've spoken to my hosting company on several occasions, and we've been able to work these types of quirks out in the past. Um, so if anything like that comes up, again, uh, let me know, and we'll do our best to look into everything and um, and get things going. Um, first up for the show... Um, is Mark Striegel. Mark Striegel of Talking Metal fame. He had Nikki Six on the Talking Metal on Fuse show. A great, great show. Uh, the guys over at Talking Metal are working on a new pilot at the moment. Uh, hopefully that gets picked up, or at least it may be something that they do on YouTube. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, those guys help me start up with the podcast and the radio and everything else. And I do have Mars Attacks Radio Show on MarkStriegelRadio.com. Uh, it's part of Live360.com network. And um, I actually help uh, program Stream A of MarkStriegelRadio.com. Uh, Thursdays and Fridays, you can listen to my radio shows on there. Uh, if you go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, there's actually a widget that you can play and listen in on that stream that I help program, and you can hear the actual shows. Uh, right there on the top right-hand side of the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com, you can find out all of the pertinent times that the shows uh, do play and repeat. Uh, we also have the playlist for the shows, the information on the podcast, the classic albums column, links to a bunch of websites that have helped lend their comments to uh, the classic albums column and uh, all that good stuff. So, um, so let's get things started. Up with Mark Striegel here. Before that, let's jump into a little... Look That Kill from Motley Crue.
Yeah, Motley Crue shouted the devil. I, you know, a lot of people, including Nicky Six, insist that Motley Crue is, is not a, a heavy metal band, and I, I understand that. But as far as what people consider 80s heavy metal, I always feel that out of all the Motley Crue records, that Shout of the Devil definitely had a, a metal you know, definitely was more of a metal record. It had just <clears throat> that that early 80s heavy metal production that all those bands had. And again, out of all their records, it's, an, it's probably the most metal out of all the Motley Crue records. And I, I definitely uh, consider it a heavy metal, an 80s heavy metal record, you know, um, Maybe on the lighter side of that of that title, you know, it definitely wasn't Slayer, but you know, I still feel it was under that same umbrella. And uh, just again, one of my one of the few albums I can put on and listen to from start to finish. Probably for me personally, I played that album more than any other album of the '80s, with the exception of maybe the first two Ozzy albums and like, you know, peace of mind at number of the beast, but, you know, shout at the devil, just wow. I mean, for, you know, a 12, 13 year old kid putting that on and the, uh, you know, in the beginning coming in with that just scary, creepy voice and busting right into shout at the devil and into looks to kill, uh, you know, God bless the children of the beast bastard. And just, uh, so many great songs, Too Young to Fall in Love, Red Hot, Knock 'em Dead Kid, uh, you know, even Danger, which, funny story about Danger, I saw them on that tour, it was after the Ozzy tour when they went out headlining and Saxon was playing with them. They played every song off of uh, Shout at the Devil with the exception of the song Danger. Hmm. So, um, again, a great concert and a great band that too many people tend to, uh, too many critics, I should say, tend to uh, just kind of uh, overlook and, and shrug off as uh, not relevant. Definitely um, some great songwriting and some great playing. And I actually like like the production. I like that, you know, slick 80s sounding production. It may sound a little dated, the production uh, today, but at the time that was definitely just... Uh, so incredibly uh, powerful.
A little bastard. Or little bastard, you know, depends on how you say that. A little bit of the song Bastard off of Shout at the Devil uh, featured in this month's classic album column, or Mars Attacks classic album column. And uh, we're going to move things forward here with John Kadick of Iron City Rocks. If you aren't familiar with his show, go to ironcityrocks.com. And uh, find out what he's all about. Uh, he's also on Focus on Metal and a bunch of other things. But uh, yeah, he lent us some great, great comments regarding this album. We're going to get into a track that was left off. And the reason that we're going to get into this now is because the instrumental God Bless the Children of the Beast uh, would be up next on the album. And um, essentially, that song was the intro to this other song uh, originally. Uh, I tried reaching out to the band. I tried reaching out to management, uh, the producer, um, you know, to get some insight on regarding this album, you know, like I have with others. And uh, one of the questions that I would have had was, you know, why was the Black Widow left off since it was one of those, you know, like underground tracks that everyone and their mother wanted to get their hands on and uh, listen to. Ultimately, this came out, uh, I thought it came out on Music to Crash Your Car 2, and uh, I'm looking through what I have in my collection here, and and I couldn't find it there. But where I did find it, the official release is on the Red, White, and Crew double CD. So let's get into that, and then we'll get into John Kadick's comments. <laughs> Kiss. You're just a man, all in my brain, wet 
this was an album I remember almost like it was yesterday hearing for the first time. I was uh, going somewhere with a couple buddies of mine. I was still uh, in my early teens at the time. And someone threw on um, the cassette. So you get the in the beginning, uh, that ominous sort of uh, post-apocalyptic sort of soundtrack sounding thing uh, that they put together. And then in comes Shot at the Devil. And I remember going, oh boy. You know, because at this point, you know, I think uh, there was still, you know, either I was young enough and naive enough to think that music could be like satanic and listening to it would somehow (laughs) take over my being or... um, right. I didn't get that these guys were incredibly smart marketing people uh, underneath it all. But I was like, shout at the devil. Oh, boy. Uh, and then I listened to the lyrics. I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm, I'm going to go right on the uh, A train to hell um, because they're yelling at the devil. So this, this might work. Um, and then looks at kill. I mean, I remember seeing that video and going, oh, my God, these guys are like right up there as cool as Kiss. Um, right. You know, they they had such an image. And the thing about Motley Crue, I think I'm sure as anybody's followed their career, every album came with a completely new persona for the band. You know, mm-hmm. they did Too Fast for Love, they looked one way, they kind of like a biker gang. They came out and shot at the devil and looked like they were in Mad Max. Um, the, uh, the following album, they looked like they were ugly sisters of poison um you know girls girls <laughs> girls they went back to this kind of all denim and leather sort of thing so they were very good at having a kind of a an image per album almost uh in the video for looks to kill i mean to this day i mean look at the black veil brides their video uh for their latest single is very much i don't call it a ripoff but boy it's it's a giant show of respect to that video so uh I have nothing bad to say about Looks at Kill. It was a great choice for a single. Um, I still have the 45 of that somewhere uh, down in the basement. Have the cassette, oh, okay. of, the cassette of the whole album. I have the CD of the whole album. Um, Bastard, um, not a bad song. Um, Vince's voice on that song to me is a little bit annoying. Um, but by and large, Vince's voice to me is kind of annoying. Um and I've always found him better on record than on live. Uh, live, I think he's really, really bad. Um, right. God bless the children of the beast. I've never understood what it's for, what it's about. Um, it's a minute and a half of my life that I was glad they invented CDs so I could just skip it. Um, because it really didn't do much for me. It was just kind of noise with a little chorus at the end. Um, Helter Skelter, uh Again, I'm a big fan of, of cover songs, and I thought Helter Skelter was an excellent choice um, because at the time I was just becoming aware in life of the whole Marilyn Manson thing. And, right. you know, I knew the book really wasn't that familiar with the Beatles at the time. I was a little bit uh, too young to remember the Beatles quite in their heyday, but I knew it was a Beatles song. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is really cool, you know, and then. To me, on that song, Vince's voice worked quite well. Um, Red Hot, um, great drumming. I mean, you can't uh, take anything away uh, from that. Too Young to Fall in Love. Um, I believe that was one of the singles off the album. I could be wrong on that. Yep. Yeah, that and Look That Kill were the two singles. Yeah, and I'm sure that Shot at the Devil was probably not because someone at Electra thought, you know, that might ruffle some feathers. So Too Young to Fall in Love, a great song. And... It might be a good time to just say, 
Nikki Six. Oh my God. Um, there's a guy I think that doesn't get the credit. He might give himself the credit he deserves, but I don't know that he can. <laughs> right. I don't know that people, when they think of top bassists, for example, you think Billy Sheen, you think, uh, you know, whomever, uh, Getty Lee, but no one, I think, says Nikki Six. And, and maybe rightfully so, maybe he's not the best bassist, but boy, if he wanted to start a band and have a bassist, he wouldn't be a bad one to build it off of because of his songwriting ability. Every one of these tracks, um, except for Helter Skelter and uh, that mess of God Bless the Children of the Beast, Nicky wrote. Um, I don't know how much involvement Vince Neil had on some of those songs, and um, probably a little is better, but uh, <laughs> Nicky Six, big big album here. I mean, I think you could have put really anybody on vocals and had a great, great album. Ten Seconds to Love, great, great tune too. Um, Danger not a horrible song i don't think it was maybe the best song to end the album with because it kind of left me a little flat um if any mm -hmm. of the tracks on the album um packaging wise you know really cool again i mean you're looking at this album and and you've got i love the fact that it has the four boxes to sort of give each one of the the people in the band sort of their own character uh and I thought that was brilliant in the way that Kiss did that. And, you know, many of their album covers, they were were very smart about that. You know, each each guy had an identity. Um, they weren't, you know, necessarily like a street gang. They were four individual characters. Mick was that kind of creepy dude. And Tommy was, <laughs> you know, there with his bright red lipstick. And Vince was there with his white hair. And Nikki is looking like the Antichrist. Um you know, I mean, it was it was to me very. The album cover was incredibly appealing. You know, which was was all the better. Um, even the pictures on the back. Um, you know, Tom Worman, um, production wise, did what Tom Worman does, which is mine platinum. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, really no complaints there. Um, they, I know there was some back masking. Uh, uh, complaints about that album and things like that uh, i have to admit i never took the time to play the cassette backwards so um i don't think i've i've uh ever had any ill effects from listening to this album so uh <laughs> yeah and if i am if i'm correct it went four times platinum in the united states so you know four million copies must have done something wrong or right i should say right <laughs> either that or that uh uh backwards tracking hooked a lot of people in yeah i don't want to buy it but i have to nikki said <laughs> uh some interesting points there that uh you brought up the four uh separate boxes on the cover was only for the cassette though uh the vinyl and then later the cd was all black with the black pentagram huh? on the cover so yeah. show my age yes i have the cassette I had the cassette as well. I remember getting that. And um, funny enough, uh, Glenn Drover, former guitarist mm -hmm. of Megadeth, mentioned this as well. Uh, I got that album for Christmas one year. Yeah. Uh, and Glenn mentioned that the uh, that he got it the year that it came out. I got it, I guess, a year or two after that. I actually had Theater of Pain first. Mm -hmm. Um But uh, yeah, 100% with you, with everything that you mentioned, the Nikki point. 
100%, you know, right on the mark. Um, definitely someone that props himself up. And, and also to his credit, I think uh, he's also good at looking back in hindsight and also pointing out where maybe his ego has gotten in, in the way of things or, um, mm-hmm. you know, really uh, has no issue with bringing up uh, where maybe they've fallen flat or, or whatnot. Sure. But um the the one thing that always gets me about those guys is every time a new album comes out, it's a mix of Dr. Feelgood and Shout at the Devil. Yeah. And it's like, you it's know, you're it, never it, yeah. yeah, you're never gonna hit that mark again, you know, not only uh because your mindset isn't the same, but you know, so many bands, once they've made it big, it's it's hard to you know, channel what it was like to be poor and hungry and, you know, wanting to go out and prove something when, you know, you've got four mansions, X amount of Ferraris, and really, you know, you're not you're not in tune with who you were when you were 18, 19, 20 years old anymore. Yeah. So Apparently it takes about uh, 25 years or so to um, overcome your heroin addiction and then you can start a new band <laughs> <laughs> and you have something new to sing about, you know. You know, with right. the 6 a.m. project. Because, yeah, I, I listen to, like, Saints of Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, had it come out, you know, 25 years earlier, I wouldn't have said, well, this is maybe not great, or, you know. But, um, you know, I think his better work now is um, uh, obviously in 6 a.m. I mean, that's just my, my right. opinion. I think the crew is probably a great touring thing, but... Uh, you know, not somebody that I necessarily feel the need to rut, uh, you know, run out and get the um, every new album or, as I should say, re-release greatest hits. Right. No, I, I agree with you on that. And also with the uh, one Brides of Destruction album he did, he also showed, you know, what he could do outside of the band environment and put out, or out of the Motley Crue environment, I should say, and put out a, a really solid album as well i'm not a big fan of saints of los angeles either and you know unfortunately um as good as nicky is he also gets caught up with fads i think tommy to an extent you know happened this happens with him as well and to a um, probably a degree that's probably worse you know tommy's (laughs) tommy's post motley crew work or side work to me has never come close to to uh, Nikki's right, and, and again, I mean, one was the drummer of the band; the other guy was the kind of creative writing force behind the band. So you right. expect that. So, you know, if I'm going to buy, you know, the Brides of Destructions, Here Come the Brides, or Tommy Land, uh, I'm not going to have to think <laughs> real hard on that one. Right? No, you you're right. As far as Saints of Los Angeles goes, I've always said that that album to me, outside of three or four songs sounds like their attempt at making a Papa Roach or, yeah. or Buck Cherry album. Yeah. And, you know, a band of that caliber or a songwriter of that caliber shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. In my opinion, yeah. he's got enough in him that, you know, even if, even if a band like Motley Crue doesn't go out there and try to, you know, write a hit single, whatever they put out, is going to be bought by all of their core mm. audience. So yeah. that it still isn't going to be bad. Yeah. So if they could just take a break from repackaging greatest hits, but apparently that's, that's where yes. the money is. 
you know i like a full have um decade of de- decadence um or with some of the other ones there was decade of a oh what was the other one it had like a brown cover with sort of caricatures of the band yeah that was just called greatest hits i yeah, have both of those and then as there well. was <laughs> red white and crew and yeah you know i could use you know sort of a break from that but um you know, I, I yeah, can't those blame are the three them. that I have. <laughs> if you own all three, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's that's a testament to your uh, your uh, love of the band. So you know, but uh, theater of, or I'm sorry, shot at the devil. I put it personally as my top crew album. If, you know, yep. if I'm going to listen to one, I, I love Girls, Girls, Girls. Um, again, because that was you know, it just kind of coincided with the age that I was. That that was you know the coolest damn thing on the earth the the year it came out but in in right. retrospect if i'm listening to one it's shot at the devil without question hi this is mike Vashenka. yo this is joey baladonna from anthrax hey this is tom Kiefer from cinderella hey, everyone this is dave menachetti from y&t hey guys headbangers and metalheads this is dalton hey this is jack russell from great white hey gang this is john karabi what's happening this is steve blaze from lily and i hello suckers this is lizzie borden this is nick Cat. Black Label Society and Speedex. Hello, all you rockers out there. This is Oni Logan from the Lynch Mob. IronCityRocks.com. We think you get the idea. Beatles classic, Helter Skelter, redone by Motley Crue. Interestingly enough, years later, Aerosmith put out their version of that song on their Pandora's Box box set. And I remember hearing it for the first time and thinking, 
who the hell is this group ripping off Motley Crue? Uh, lo and behold, it was Aerosmith, and it was originally recorded years and years earlier. So uh not sure if the crew had any knowledge of that or not. Uh, I know that it's been said over the years how big a fan uh, Nicky is of Aerosmith and other bands uh, from the 70s. So who knows? Maybe he knew about it and that's why they decided to redo it or he had a bootleg or or, or maybe they didn't know anything about the track at all or about, obviously, Aerosmith doing it. So uh, moving forward here. We have our good friend from BraveWords.com. Uh, go to Brave Words to find out all of the latest news regarding hard rock and metal. And, uh, you know, I love Blabbermouth and all, but Brave Words really has a more encompassing um, presentation of music because there are certain things that uh, that Blabbermouth for whatever reason, doesn't post, uh, including stuff regarding my shows, but that's neither here nor there. But there are certain news that you see, you know, that um, that Brave Words will post that Blabbermouth doesn't. You know, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, could be because of staff reductions or whatever that I've been told uh, Blabbermouth has had to face over the course of the last year or so. Um, or maybe there are just certain things that they don't feel fit into um, fit into what they offer. But uh, whatever the point may be, this is Mitch Lafon, and he's from Brave Words. So let's talk about BraveWords.com. Uh, anyway, uh, Mitch is uh, one of their senior photographers and uh, interviewers over there. Uh, you can read a lot of the great, or you can read all of his great work right there on BraveWords.com. Uh, before jumping into that, let's get into a little Red Hot. And we are following the album order. Um, one of the things, you know, you ask people to send in their comments regarding the albums and whatnot, um, which you can do by writing input at MarsAttacksRadio.com uh, or leaving your comments right there on the website. Um, in any event, one of the things that people complained about was that I was taking albums and putting them out of order. So we're going to follow the you know the, the way that the albums were released, a few exceptions here and there. Uh, for example, the you know insertion of Black Widow there. But um, in any event, um, the next track up is obviously uh, Red Hot. So we'll get into a little Red Hot and get into Mitch LaFon's comments.
easily my favorite Motley Crue album. There is nothing wrong with that album. It's it's um, musically not perfect, but that's what makes it so. Uh, that's that's one of the redeeming qualities to it is that it's sloppy, it's raw, and you know, listen, uh, Tommy Lee, for example, on the song like Red Hot. And even some of the songs that they don't like to play anymore, like Too Young to Fall in Love. I mean, it was the perfect album to initiate sort of MTV people with the whole crazy L.A. Sunset Strip scene. I mean, they stole from Kiss with the imagery. They stole from uh, Kiss with the, the, you know, the Nicky burning his boots and, and the whole, you know, stage show. And they just took, they just took that whole genre to another place. It, 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 I guess it was like Alice Cooper on steroids, in a sense. And, uh, you know, people look back and they say, oh, Dr. Feelgood's their best. Or, or man, I really like, uh, you know, the songs on Girls, Girls, Girls. And, and you just go, how can you not think Shout at the Devil is their best album? I mean, looks that kill. Too Young to Fall in Love. Red Hot. Ten seconds, uh, ten seconds to love. Um, you know, it's it's like it's like it's like a greatest hits album, but it's not. <laughs> you know, and um, man, Vince. Uh, I think Vince. You know, Vince gets criticized for having sort of a cat wail, and he's not a great vocalist. But I just can't see any other vocalist that could have given that sneer and snarl to those songs that made them sound so gritty and so so perfect. I just don't think you could have gotten anybody else. I mean, you know, I don't think Paul Stanley singing those songs would have been believable. And it just it just all worked. The playing is sloppy, I'll give you that. But that's what's that's what's fun about it. And that's what rock and roll should be about. Rock and roll should be dirty. And that was perfect dirt. Oh, that's <laughs> the name of their book. Right. <laughs> uh pun intended or unintended? It was unintended, but let's make it intended now. <laughs> it worked. It worked out. Uh, yeah.
you go a little too young to fall in love coming off of shout at the devil up next someone else that was involved with brave words the author martin popoff who for those of you that have been watching metal evolution uh, he's been lending his comments to that show uh still on the fence regarding the show and um and i'll and i'll say exactly why um, I know that there are a lot of various factions within metal. Obviously, there wouldn't be, you know, this whole family tree type thing that Sam Dunn has been doing with the series, if not. Um, there are just certain episodes where things are either just thrown together too quickly, like with the Thrash episode. Um, all of a sudden at the end you have Grindcore and you have... You know, the Swedish sound, which is essentially metalcore, uh, for lack of a better term, which to me splits off of new metal. But, you know, again, th- this is the thing with this show. Uh, things can go in so many directions that, uh, that you know, it's just sort of odd to try to fit everything into one category. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, we have to repeat interviews because you know this group actually fits into multiple categories so you know I I don't know and in all honesty you know the reason why I sort of searched out to get opinions from various people from throughout the industry is to get all types of opinions from people I don't want every single you know, opinion to be a home run, you know, every single album to be, you know, oh, well, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, at the same time, I just find it sort of obnoxious that, you know, Sam Dunn sort of pans the whole, um, you know, glam metal or LA strip metal, however you want to look at it, that Motley Crue, you know, probably helped kick off or Van Halen did or whatnot, but you see him wearing a Van Halen t-shirt throughout the entire show, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And with the new metal episode, he says, you know, what's worse, being, uh, you know, in glam metal or being in, you know, new metal? I think it's worse to be, you know, a glam metal person. It's just so fucking stupid in my opinion, you know, it just, all right, so you're holier than thou? <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you you want everyone to follow what you say or, or whatnot. You're the only authority that's, you know, um, th- that's worth listening to on this. You know, I don't know. It's just sort of almost campy in, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's just sort of odd that, you know, you're, there's no issue with people dressing up in, you know, a, like a knight, but there's an issue with people, you know, what they did 25 years ago because it was the 
the thing to do, but you know, whatever. Um, I don't condone a hundred percent of, you know, what was done back then. And I don't condone a hundred percent of what's done now either. You know, I think in the end, the originators are always going to be better than, you know, the third or fourth or fifth or sixth generation, uh, which was trying to do the same thing, which is in the case of Motley Crue. Um, they were one of the originators, you know, Van Halen, Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, um, Rat, you know, I don't know, uh, even Poison to an extent, Def Leppard even, Joe Elliott, you know, go f- fucking jump off a bridge or something, you know, come on. Uh, you don't want to be grouped into hard rock or whatever, you know, these are the people that... You know, hard rock fans got you started. I understand that they're elitists and that they're dicks and whatnot. Um, A lot of people are anyway. And that's one of the biggest issues with metal is that, you know, what is, what isn't metal. We get down to that. And Gene Hoagland, when I first interviewed him, although, you know, uh, his comments will speak for itself later on. um, He mentions that, how people, you know, have to be cult or cool or, you know... Um, to be considered metal nowadays, which is just totally stupid. Um, but anyway, Joe Elliott. Oh, I want to be, you know, lumped in with the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and whatnot. Guess what? Those fucking bands hate your music. So do fans of that music. So for you to sit there and say that you want to be lumped in with these people, you know, that's fine and dandy. It's you know, it's cool to dream, but fact of the matter, the people that are still going out and buying out things like the album X and things like that are people that bought Pyromania or people that bought Hysteria, you know, not people that were listening to, to Dark Side of the Moon when that came out or were listening to The Wall or even Led Zeppelin Four when that first came out, okay? You know, seriously. Um... So, yeah, that's my little rant on that. And let's get back to what, you know, we were going for here. Martin Popoff is up next. Um, Let's play a little bit of Knock 'em Dead Kid before getting into his comments.
Motley Crue, I've always kind of had a soft spot for the crew, um, and really it's because the albums sound a little bit mistaken, in error, uh, dumb. And Shout of the Devil was definitely like that. They, they had this satanic image to it that you that you wondered, like, where does this come from? Does it even fit? It just seemed, it seemed like a, like a thrown together, glam, um, satanic, trashy road warrior. I know is kind of, kind of a, a little bit of what they were going for. But um, one thing about that record is somehow, even though it is LA metal and it is proto hair metal, it really does have a, a dark vibe to it. Almost like it's almost like more satanic than actual black metal because it is about decadence that humans can actually participate in. It's about human decadence here on this earth kind of thing. Um, so it was a really, really dark album. I remember, um, the age I was at at that time was, was kind of interesting because I was, I was, it was like, there was tons and tons of metal coming out and, um, you know, I guess I was in university and I was championing all this metal and it was almost like the, the hangover from the new wave of British heavy metal. Finally, we were getting a bunch of North American metal, uh, that, that one could hype about. Plus it had a great recording and it just had great anthems on it, but it was, it was a stupid, punky, simple album and, uh, really loved it for that.
Up next is Alan Tecchio. Alan Tecchio, lead singer of such bands like Hades, Autumn Hour, Seven Witches, so on and so forth. Just recently did a bunch of shows with Seven Witches, opening up for Armored Saint. Armored Saint mentioned in The Dirt, the book by uh, Motley Crue. Interestingly enough, when I interviewed John Bush, John Bush mentioned that the story that's told in The Dirt is completely wrong. And he would obviously know better than I would because he was there. So he lived it. Um, He was there when this whole L.A. scene was cropping up. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, that when Motley Crue and some of these bands were coming out, Metallica was gigging in L.A. Uh, Armored Saint, a lot of these other bands uh, that maybe became famous through the underground uh, that didn't get that you know, MTV airplay that Motley Crue did. And not to say that they're any worse, because obviously Metallica went on to be one of the biggest bands of all time. But uh, a band like Armored Saint, uh, great, great music, just didn't have, you know, uh, the imagery that that Motley Crue had, uh, didn't have the same type of, you know, maybe uh, pop feel, or not pop feel, especially not with this album, but... Um, maybe the album didn't lean towards what people were ready to listen to. And an interesting quote, and this is Dave Ellison from Megadeth, bass player of Megadeth, he sent me this quote uh, regarding the album. And you'll be able to read this right on MarsAttacksRadio.com, but he probably hits the nail right on the head with this. Um, He wrote, In some ways, Motley played up the satanic image more than most, and the mainstream bought it. The album was just heavy enough to be loved by metalheads and just mainstream enough to be loved by all. So, there you have it. Uh, That's probably... You know, the reason why so many people got into this band at that point. And it was really a launching pad for so many other bands. And the one thing that you have to credit um, Nikki and the rest of the band for is that from album to album, they've changed their image. They've changed their sound a little. And although I may not agree with, you know, absolutely everything, and the only album that I can honestly say that uh, I can't sit there and really listen to and people will say, you know, oh, well, New Tattoo sucked. There's a lot of stuff off of New Tattoo that I like. There's a lot of stuff off of Generation Swine that I like. Uh, even the self-titled Motley Crue album with John Karabi. There are a lot of people that have come out of the woodwork so many years later to say, you know, that's the best Crue album. And I agree, it's got some really good material on it. But Saints of Los Angeles, there's just some stuff on there that I just don't agree with. That's just my opinion. That doesn't mean that it's good, bad, or whatever. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just think that, you know, they were going off, they were going after the audience that, uh, you know, they were touring with during Crew Fest. You know, that Papa Roach, um, maybe Buck Cherry type of audience that they don't have to, uh, you know, tailor to. But again, Nikki has been good. Uh, with knowing, you know, what sort of in and how to curtail the music a little bit to what's going on at that point in time without getting too overboard like Kiss with, uh, you know, I was made for loving you. But, 
you know, Saints of Los Angeles has stuff on there that has, you know, uh, modern rock sensibilities for, you know, modern rock stuff that's played on the radio nowadays. So you do have to credit them for at least trying to do that. I may not enjoy it, but I know plenty of people out there that said that I was absolutely nuts to say that when this album came out. In any event... Let us get into the track Danger, and then we'll get into Alan Tecchio's comments. because I was in uh, Pyramid Music. It was a local record store in Bergenfield, New Jersey. That was like the go- one of the go-to shops. There, there were a lot of go-to shops, come to think of it, that are all gone, sadly. But they were one of the go-to shops for, you know, getting the hottest, newest metal record. 
and uh, they were playing it. I remember looking through and all the big, super colorful photos of the guys inside the Gatefold album, and just being like, who the fuck are these guys? Because I heard the first record, and I thought it you know, I had some good songs on it, like Take Me to the Top and uh, Livewire, but the rest of it, the live was kind of like wimpy, I thought. So Shadow of the Devil just had this overall evil, dark kind of tone to it, and I think they just pushed it in a really cool direction, uh, that pushed it being the first record they took it and took their sound and went to a very cool place with it. This is Alan Tecchio from Autumn Hour, Hades, Nonfiction, Watchtower, Minds, Mirrors, and other assorted bands, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Hotter than hell. I bet there are a lot of people out there that have never bought the reissued CD thinking, what the hell was that? And that song is from Theater of Pain. That song was originally demoed during Shout at the Devil and obviously never made it on the album. Uh, I'm not sure if because of the kiss connotation there, the hotter than hell, uh, that they decided to switch it to Louder Than Hell. Uh, when I got to see them during the Carnival of Sins tour, they actually played that song live, much to my delight, because I was a big fan of the band back then, and uh, I remember buying Theater of Pain. The day it was released, I was um, 
I was going to say on tour. I was on vacation here in Spain as a little kid, and I remember going around and um, waiting for one of the record shops to have that on cassette, and I finally, you know, picked it up. But, uh, yeah, so if you are one of these people that just have the original vinyl or the cassette, uh, check the reissues out. Uh, They're going to be remastering this again and putting it out, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm sure we'll have this track on there. If not, the iTunes version uh, does have Hotter Than Hell on there. So, um, moving forward... We had Alan Tecchio there. We're going to have a little bit of our good friend Dave Reffitt. And I always have to thank Dave Reffitt for helping me out secure a bunch of guests that have been on my shows. Um, he was just recently at NAM, was part of the Metal Jam uh, with Neil Turbin, original Anthrax lead singer Bobby Rondinelli, and a bunch of other people, uh, including Eli Santana from Holy Grail. And I apologize to everyone else. I'm going from memory right now from the original poster that he had sent along. Uh, But anyway, great, great guitarist Dave is. And uh, can't thank him enough for everything that he's done for the show. Uh, Check out his album. Um, It is called The Call of the Flame. Uh, It can be found under the Shredding the Envelope name as well. He's got a lot of great guests on there like George Lynch, Chris Poland, and... Glenn Drover, who we'll listen to a little later on in the show. Mike Mangini, who's currently part of Dream Theater as well. Uh, So check that out. Uh, What we're going to get into now is another unreleased track from Shout at the Devil. The name of this track is I Will Survive. Trouble as the skies return to red. 
Motley Crue, I mean, Dr. Feelgood, of course, I, I think that that record is so badass. Just the, the production alone, I mean, that's one of the best rock albums ever in terms of production, and the songs are great, too. And uh, on Shout of the Devil, what strikes me was they were just so hungry back then, you know, like they were just you know, determined to make their mark, you know, and, and that's really cool. And I love the first album, too. The first album, um, there's a band from the 70s called Sweet. You know, some people know who they are. They did a ballroom blitz and a bunch of stuff. And to me, Motley Crue was kind of like Sweet on steroids, you know, especially on that first record. Like, they kind of reminded me of that, sort of that kind of feel. Um, but Shout at the Devil, you know, they just took it to a different place and, you know, the title tracks killer, looks to kill is awesome and I always love Knock 'em Dead Kid, you know, when they played that live. I always really dug that track a lot. And um yeah, that was a good time period for that band, man. The the music videos back then were very cool and um they had that whole that whole image, you know. Just a great band. There's some funny stories about Motley Crue and uh there's a really cool book called uh Fargo Rock City, some people know it by Chuck Klosterman, and that's worth checking out. There's some funny Motley Crue stuff in there. But, uh, yeah, I've always loved Motley, man. Great band. Hello, this is Dave Reffitt, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with my good buddy Victor. Crank it up.
a little look that kill live off of the entertainment or death album uh that first cd is recorded during the shout at the devil tour so we'll feature songs off of that album uh for the remainder of the show so that way we get a feel for what the crew was like live back then um up next, we have former King Diamond and Megadeth guitarist Glenn Drover. Last time we spoke to Glenn, he mentioned that he was working on something and that we would have news probably around the beginning of the year, springtime. So we'll keep our ear to the ground per se, see if we um, see when Glenn is ready to reveal what he's working on. Uh, in any event, you can go to his site, glendroverband.com. Uh, what we'll do is get into a little bit of a, another live track. Uh, this track is Knock 'em Dead Kid, and then we'll get into a little bit of Glenn Drover's comments. You ready to knock him dead tonight? You know, because I remember Sean buying the uh, the first record, Too Fast for Love, and um, at that time he was living in, in, a, in a place called Cal- Calgary. It's in Alberta in, in Canada. So, um, And we thought, that, you know, it's a pretty cool record. And then Shout the Devil was, you know, I thought it was a good step up in terms of, you know, being more heavy and, you know, in your face. And at the time it was definitely, I thought it was a really good, you know, aggressive record, good metal record, you know. 
I kind of wish they would have stuck with that formula, but, you know, uh, the 80s were, as we got into the later part, it seems a lot of the bands were starting to kind of go in a little bit of a lighter, more, um, you know, friendly direction. So, but uh, definitely uh, one of my favorite records, if not my favorite Motley Crue record, Shout to the Devil. This is a land of the air! Young to Fall in Love live by Motley Crue off of Entertainment and Death. Once again, that is from the Shout at the Devil tour, which is why we're including it. And obviously, it's off of the album Shout at the Devil. Always love that solo. Has like an Arabian feel to it. Um, always thought it was cool and unique. Unique at that point in time, anyway. A real sort of Zeppelin type feel to it as well. Up next, Gene Hoagland. And I can't thank Gene Hoagland enough because his comments are at times very brutal. Sometimes they're very forthcoming. He's not a bullshit artist. He tells you exactly what he feels. And whether you agree or not, he's played on more albums than you have. Guaranteed. (laughs) Regardless of who you are. Um, He's currently out on tour with Testament. And unfortunately... Since uh, Charlie Bonante from Anthrax's mother has become sick, he's filling in for Charlie for the rest of the tour. Uh, I just hope everything works out for Charlie and his family. Charlie has also lent his comments to this column as well uh, on various other albums. Uh, Gene was nice enough to lend comments on everything. So you get all types of stories, uh, good, bad, or indifferent regarding the various albums, and um, what can you say? The guy is 
absolutely a genius uh, behind a drum kit. Uh, the one thing that I found really funny when listening back to this, um, shortly after doing the interview with him to obtain his comments, I received uh, his instructional DVD. I went out and I bought it. And um, during the instructional DVD, he mentions how he doesn't know anything about notes with a drum set and everything else and how, you know, he doesn't know a paradiddle from this or from that, that he just goes from feeling, blah, 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 you know. It's real funny. And then listening back to this to this part, he begins to talk about transitions within the notes and saying, you know, well, they did this as opposed to what, you know, other bands were doing at the time, whatever. And I found it, you know, hilarious because in the instructional DVD, he's saying, you know, all right, you know, this is just pretty much just me going from feeling or whatever. And I don't know anything about, you know, notes or music or, or whatever. And when it comes to describing this song, he knows flat out what he's talking about with the different uh, chord changes and whatnot. So, so I thought it was interesting. I thought it was humorous. So I wanted to point that out. In any event, uh, let's get into a little bit of... 10 Seconds to Love uh, off of the Entertainment or Death album. And uh, we'll get into Gene Hoagland's comments after that.
Yeah, I never shouted. So uh so that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, that album I just oh what a I just didn't get it. You know, like there okay. were spots on the first album. Like I said, I, I always like your your fast double bass songs. Like it, at least they had like Live Wire on the first album and Stick to Your Guns, which was a great song, like period. Um but they kind of had a little bit of heavy stuff, like Piece of Your Action, that tried to be a little on the darker side, even Take Me to the Top, that had some moments from the first album. But other than that, Motley Crue was just off my radar totally. And I'm like, I remember they had one double bass on what was called Red Hot or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, that was back in the day when I, I, I didn't know much about music, but I knew I liked it. You know, if you had a, a speed metal song, I'll listen to that one. And, Motley Crue only had one Speed Metal song on there, so uh, that was it. <laughs> and another song that wasn't too horrible was uh, that uh, Too Young to Fall in Love. Um, yeah. I thought the lead was really cool in that song because it reminded me of Richie Blackmore. It totally had like a Richie Blackmore kind of vibe from like Highway Star or something like that. And right. the fact that the chorus would do like an E to an F, which is a you know kind of a dark little little uh, progression, you know, E to F sharp mm-hmm. is more common in gay cock rock like that, but they did an E to an F <laughs> uh, in the chorus there. And I was like, okay, well, you guys are trying anyway. But yeah, for the most part, that, that I'll, you know, I, I never got Motley Crue, you know. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy Gene Hoagland, who has played with your favorite metal bands, and you are listening to Mars Attacks Radio. <laughs>
There you go, a little piece of your action. Originally off of Too Fast for Love, but since we're on that Entertainment or Death album and um, Gene Hoagland mentioned this track, it's off of the Shout at the Devil tour, so figured I'd throw this one in there. Sort of a uh, extra one. And uh, he's absolutely right. I mentioned, you know, Led Zeppelin type feel for Too Young to Fall in Love solo. Richie Blackmore would be uh, probably more on the money because he fooled around with a lot of that uh, Arabic type playing as well, along with the neoclassical that he was obviously doing. Um, We have one more segment left, and that will be with John Schaefer of Iced Earth. Before that, just remember to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to check out the other columns, uh, the other classic albums columns. Check out uh, playlists for the shows, for the radio shows. Find out when the radio show airs on Mark Striegel Radio or right there on the widget that's on the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. Also, follow us on Twitter and uh, go over to the Facebook page, which is Facebook forward slash MarsAttacksRadio.com. Jesus, not .com, Mars Attacks Radio only. And like the page and go over to iTunes and leave us a comment as well. Uh, what we're going to do is play Helter Skelter Live, which is what they use to close the show out with. Um, we'll get into John Schaefer's comments and then we'll leave you with the live title track before ending the episode. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have any comments, just leave them there on the on the homepage on MarsAttacksRadio.com uh, or send us your comments at uh, input at MarsAttacksRadio.com. If you're in a band and you want to comment on upcoming albums that will be featured, drop us a line as well. Uh, that's pretty much it. We'll leave you with John Schaefer. See you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
That's a cool record. I mean, I still like it, you know, and I, I saw that tour. I saw him open for Ozzy. I was probably a freshman in high school or something. Okay. And, um, you know, I like the first two crew albums because they were kind of right. dark and rude, and then they got a bit too glam in L.A. for me, even though they were always L.A. Yeah. They were like the underbelly, you know, the, yeah. the really dark and, and nasty side. And uh, so those first two albums, I think, are great. So come now, children.